Welcome to the 34th episode of Heavier Than I Look, a podcast dedicated to healing, recovery, and storytelling. My name is Kira Russo, and I am your host. If you feel that listening may aggravate your suffering or complicate your recovery, please take this notice as a trigger warning. Discuss with your support system as necessary. And as always, take what you need and leave what you don't. Today's episode is a book review of a memoir entitled Hunger from the New York Times bestselling author Roxane Gay. It has been on my to-read list for many months now, and I finally had the opportunity to sit down and read it a few weeks back. Originally a diarist, Gay is now a contributing opinion writer for the New York Times. She is author of the books Aiti, An Untamed State, Bad Feminist, Difficult Women, and Hunger. She runs her own newsletter entitled The Audacity and is the author of The World of Wakanda for Marvel. Her writing is exceptionally communicative, asking questions of herself as an author, as she writes and as we read. There is an inconclusiveness and incompleteness that is raw and thus earnest with this memoir. This is not a typical weight loss narrative that asserts control with a disciplined diet and fitness regime. It triumphs differently, an attempt of gaze to write her body into existence. She recognizes her story as one that, quote, demands to be told and deserves to be heard, end quote. She refers to herself as a woman of size, an identity marker I will respect as well. In this episode, my intent is not to privilege my voice as someone who has thin privilege and exists in a smaller body, but instead to elevate the voice and story of someone of size, which is why, as you'll notice, much of this episode is quotes, her words. It is also to celebrate Gay's work of self-salvation and offer my own perspective from the lens of an eating disorder survivor. I believe this memoir is a necessary inclusion in popular discourse surrounding body image and disordered eating. I will also advise a trigger warning for the content of this book, specifically with regard to Gay's interaction with diet culture. The memoir recognizes diet as deprivation, while simultaneously articulating a desire to lose weight. Further, Gay presents a rather fetishistic, voyeuristic perspective of those with anorexia in one specific chapter of the memoir. She finds herself in the same unquenchable trap when understanding anorexia as willpower, which is a misinformed and hollow perception. She often refers to disordered eating as discipline, which could be triggering for some, so please be wary. Further, there's one section that details a bout of bulimia, so for readers who have struggled with that, exercise caution. Gay never uses the words eating disorder. She believes she lacks the discipline of, quote, the two skinny girls who starve themselves and exercise too much and are gray and gaunt and disappearing in plain sight, end quote. Empathetic representation of eating disorders and those affected by them, possibly including herself, are scant, if there. Overall, this memoir is a story of a body. Yet what body means carries so much more depth and meaning, and therefore, 
It is a story about the several thousand things other than body that contribute to the formation of the body. Her body, Gay says, is profoundly on display. Almost an objectionable spectacle available for public rhetoric. Quote, Fat, much like skin color, is something you cannot hide, no matter how dark the clothing you wear or how diligently you avoid horizontal stripes. End quote. There is no existing as anything else besides your body as a fat person. In fact, you are solely reduced to your physical form. As Gay says, quote, You are your body, nothing more, and your body should damn well become less. End quote. While embracing the truth of her body, she also de-elevates it, lessens it in acknowledgement that our bodies are not our biggest problems, and certainly not to blame for them either. For Gay, her body became the manifestation of a devastating act of violence as a young girl, where trauma came to live and exist and also disappear within what she calls the fortress of her body. Thus, hypervisibility and invisibility coexist. As a woman of size, Gay's body has become public discourse, instantly visible and available to the judgment of others. Yet simultaneously, Gay's body is how an alternate version of Gay, one whom was horrifically sexually assaulted at the age of 12, disappears into. Gay acknowledges the gendered politics regarding taking up space. She writes of women, quote, We should not take up space. We should be seen and not heard, and if we are seen, we should be pleasing to men, acceptable to society. And most women know this, that we are supposed to disappear. But it's something that needs to be said, loudly, over and over again, so that we can resist surrendering to what is expected of us. End quote. She writes that, quote, Women's bodies instantly become public text, end quote. And while your body is always open for viewing as a female, it becomes even more permissible if your body exists in extremity. Gay says, quote, The taxonomy becomes even more specific for the unruly, overweight woman's body, end quote. Gay also notes that female bodies cannot simply be in our broken society. We must always be improving them, contorting them to fit the ideals of the time and morph into expectations of beauty and acceptability. We aren't good enough in our bodies simply as they are. They instead become projects, achievements, constructions, instead of just home. Gay asks the ultimate, most important question, quote, What does it say about our culture that the desire for weight loss is considered a default feature of womanhood? End quote. Celebrity, an identity gay is being funneled into as her writing becomes more and more popular, offers its own environment of hypervisibility, in which celebrities' bodies, quote, are their personal stock, the physical embodiment of market value, end quote. Ultimately, quote, the less space they take up, the more they matter, end quote. This is a complicated issue, one in which I'm interested in investigating further 
considering the space of this podcast as now public text and its means of accessibility. I fight against the visibility an eating disorder might demand. My body is not seen, not witnessed within the scope of this podcast. I'm exclusively heard. Thus, I privilege voice instead of body, but I'm not sure if and how that might change when visibility becomes an inevitability in my hopeful line of work. The relative visibility of eating disorders with regard to their physical consequences is difficult to conceptualize. Oftentimes, eating disorders are only legitimized if they are visible. And if eating disorders have not manifested in one way or another in the lessening frame of the individual, then they are dismissed, willed away, and remain invisible. Quote, When you are fat, no one will pay attention to disordered eating, or they will look the other way, or they will look right through you. You get to hide in plain sight. I have hidden in plain sight in one way or another for most of my life. Willing myself to not do that anymore, willing myself to be seen, is difficult. End quote. As much as gay's body is hypervisible because of its size, an equally pressing issue gay calls attention to is the invisibility of the disorder. This poses an incredible danger in the scope of eating disorder diagnosis and treatment. The medical community and our society in general view only certain bodies or weight as deserving of an eating disorder. Interestingly, Gay invokes a motif of body as if a cage. This resonated with me specifically because I often feel the same about my own body, although different from Gay's. Of size, or thin, or tall, or short, or old, or young, or healthy, or chronically ill, or abled, or disabled, this same motif might be used to characterize the space we inhabit. We all live in the same cage, despite the bodies that occupy each cage being vastly different. She writes, quote, This is the reality of living in my body. I am trapped in a cage. The frustrating thing about cages is that you're trapped, but you can see exactly what you want. You can reach out from the cage, but only so far. End quote. Maybe we all live in our cages without possibility of freedom and without the knowledge of others in their own separate cages out of sight. I find this kind of comforting because the bodies we might want, might desperately desire, may also unknowingly to us live in cages. And this is not to say that all bodies are doomed to a cage existence. It is instead to say that our cages have invisible neighbors. The next step is to make each other's cages visible, to move forward with the knowledge that we are not alone, that others live in cages, and maybe, just maybe, if we view others' cages, we can find their key. If we recognize each other's suffering, we can find a way out of our own. Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, a psychiatrist famous for his research and experience in the treatment of trauma, writes, quote, our capacity to destroy one another is matched by our capacity to heal one another. End quote. Interestingly, Gay also voices issues in memory formation during her life. She says that, quote, when she has to, she can strip her memory bare 
and she has done this at times when erasure was necessary. End quote. As much as our body will remember the trauma of the past to prevent the trauma of the future, our body might also forget the trauma of the past to prevent the trauma of the future. Overall, your body will protect you, and sometimes the heaviness of the memory is too difficult to carry with us. Alternatively, Gay recounts that the trauma of her sexual assault feels permanent. She writes, quote, I was marked over that. Men could smell it on me, that I had lost my body, that they could avail themselves of my body, that I wouldn't say no because I knew my no did not matter. They smelled it on me and took advantage every chance they got. End quote. Gay feels marked with trauma, both internally and externally, which I think mirrors the experience of many that may share her trauma of sexual assault. Some weight is impossible to lose. She remembers little from high school, but remembers such acute details from the moment of her sexual assault, such as specific smells and sounds of when she was just 12 years old. So, trauma memory might be repressed and also blindingly there. The duality of this phenomenon is fascinating to me and parallels the duality of what we are discovering of hypervisibility and invisibility within this memoir. By giving voice to her trauma, Gay reclaims herself. She wrestles and rescues her story from the confines of a typical weight loss narrative. Dr. Bessel van der Kolk writes, quote, To speak the unspeakable, to say it in words of one's choosing, and to say those words again and again is a way to master the trauma, giving memories the kind of meaning that enables them to be integrated into the rest of life, end quote. Gay expresses sincere vulnerability when she writes that she, quote, thought about turning a gun on the boys that hurt her while simultaneously thinking about turning the gun on herself, end quote. Our desire to punish those who hurt us can easily become and most likely reflects our desire to punish ourselves. She talks about a forced disembodiment, a dichotomy of self, a difference between the woman who lives in the world and the woman who lives in her head. She writes how these two women needed to be disjunct, separate, or she might not have survived. Again, a fascinating mosaic of the pattern of memory formation when it comes to experiences of trauma. I'm also duly fascinated with the idea of losing your body which Gay talks about later on when she attends grad school, where she exclusively, quote, lived a life of the mind and where her body didn't matter, end quote. This is one of the things that I also love about being at school. There's so much more of an integrated cure than there is of just a physical cure well home. But our bodies are inescapable. They are our first homes. We cannot live without them, although we might try to live beyond them. I wrote a blog post about this very thing entitled Home, which is available at pennyformythoughts.org. I write, quote, Contrary to popular belief, we can exist in two places at once. You can, I can, at every moment, anywhere, we are as much in one place as another. We have two homes, our bodies and the space our body inhabits. We may forget that our bodies are our homes, our permanent homes. Although we can decorate and adorn them in different ways, we would not be living if not for our bodies. 
If one doesn't feel safe, we may recede into the other. Each can only be a solo home temporarily, however. They are not mutually exclusive. They depend on one another. The mutuality of the two homes is beautiful, as one may serve as a refuge to another. It can also be dangerous, as if we feel hurt in one, we might hurt the other. End quote. Gay has lovingly adorned her body with a tattoo that I particularly love. A woman with wings who, as Gay writes, quote, can escape anything she wants, even her body, end quote. This is another metaphor that spoke intimately true for me, as wings have entered my life in many ways on many days. I even wrote a short play entitled The Whisper of the Wind, which explores the possibility of escape for a young Native American woman, also featured on pennyformythoughts.org. This urge to exist beyond her body is undoubtedly an urge that I share, most vulnerably because I have suffered greatly from an unwelcome intruder, my IBS, which tightens the metal bars of the cage surrounding me. Gay offers a lens into how a different culture, a Haitian heritage, informed her family's preoccupation with her body. She writes that, quote, her family has been inordinately preoccupied with her body since she was 13 years old, end quote. She says that just as she was, quote, intimately aware of every single pound that accumulated and clung to her body, end quote, so too seemed everyone around her. Her family, quote, became a constant chorus of nagging, always well-intended, but mostly a reminder of how she was a failure in the most basic of her human responsibilities, maintaining her body, end quote. One of the most basic responsibilities of humanity, of adulthood, the responsibility of your body, can become so entrenched in danger. It is with most ease that internal discord manifests and announces itself there. Her father specifically harbored a lot of hope for Gay, quote, if only she could overcome her body, end quote. An impossibility. Our bodies are not something capable of overcoming in this lifetime. Gay most notably speaks of the danger of silence, an ambition of personal necessity and meaning, quote, all too often what he said matters more, so we just swallow the truth. We swallow it, and more often than not, the truth turns rancid. It spreads through the body like an infection. It becomes depression or addiction or obsession or some other physical manifestation of the silence of what she would have said, needed to say, couldn't say. End quote. Swallowing something so heavy so often, even if they are just words, is dangerous. Words may carry a lot of weight, and this weight may destroy it may impair your insides permanently. She says that she swallowed and swallowed her secrets, making her body, quote, expand and explode, end quote. If you swallow and you swallow, alternatively, if you silence and silence, your interior will be affected. It's just a matter of where that suffering lands on your body. My eating disorder was silenced for several years, and my digestive system faced the consequences. Gay talks intimately and vulnerably about the reality of weight stigma and living in a fatphobic society. She can't fit into chairs, at a restaurant, on public transport, anywhere, without deep black and blue bruises on her sides. Again, 
the reality of her body is marked, visible, announcing itself loud and clear. She may not fit into certain doorways. She cannot use public bathrooms. She cannot wear a seatbelt in an airplane seat without asking for an extension from the attendant, a question that can bring attention again to her body. She speaks of the crushing reality of fat phobia, quote, There is fear because no one wants to be infected by obesity, largely because people know how they see and treat and think about fat people and don't want such a fate to befall them, end quote. Fat phobia and the fear that underlies it is often disguised as care or concern or, in worst cases, an excuse for unsolicited advice. Gay's chronic stomach pain, a phenomenon I know all too well, has also gone undiagnosed and untreated because of the medical community's dismissal of Gay's discomfort and often oversimplified treatment, where she is told weight loss alone will cure her. There is also tremendous weight stigma in a medical context, which is unfortunately ironic considering its overt and narrow focus on the obesity epidemic. Scales, hospital gowns, blood pressure cuffs, exam room tables are not accommodating to a range of bodies, and thus doctor's office may be the content of nightmares for those of size. Gay writes that, quote, Doctors are supposed to first do no harm. But when it comes to fat bodies, most doctors seem fundamentally incapable of heeding their oath. End quote. She articulates shopping as, quote, but one of the many humiliations fat people endure. End quote. There is no fashion freedom for those of size, and thus retail can become incredibly triggering, especially when sizes may not even exist for these individuals. Gay expresses anger, quote, that the fashion industry is completely unwilling to design for a more diverse range of human bodies, end quote. As she says, and as I agree, quote, to be that girl in a clothing store is to be the loneliest girl in the world, end quote. Gay in this piece acknowledges the incompleteness of her story of her body, and more importantly, of the story of her self-love journey. She offers an important amendment in recognition that, quote, some of us struggle with body image and haven't reached a place of peace and unconditional self-acceptance, end quote. I think it is rather remarkable to be so vulnerable in the incomplete, in the unfinished, in the messy, in the in-between. That is what this podcast is. Born out of and within my darkest moments with unanswered questions and burdensome emotions. Many critics of the memoir draw attention to the intensity of pain that Gay expresses, which, quote, transcends the number on the scale, and feels utterly captive to it, end quote. They fear gay has become a self that the body represents, with heightened attention to the physical presence of words on paper, having replaced the physical presence of gay herself. Quote, This is a trope of literature about eating disorders, or if not a trope, it is a wistful superstition, as if honing one's writing to the sharpest point of beauty, cleverness, or truth, might compensate for the perceived deficits of that other, eternally lacking vehicle of self, end quote. Is, by writing this memoir, gay writing her body into existence or attempting to live beyond and overcome her body? Or perhaps, is she doing both? In the last pages, gay writes that she, quote, no longer needs the body fortress I built. I need to tear down some of the walls, and I need to tear down those walls for me and me alone, 
no matter what good may come of that demolition. I think of it as undestroying myself. End quote. She chooses to live in a different skin than the one our fatphobic society has taught her to hate. It is unclear whether this is an attempt at transcending the very body that wrote these words. But it is clear that gay is vulnerable and visible. A call to action we all might hear. All new episodes of HTL will be uploaded to Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts by 11.59 p.m. each Sunday night if you miss the live broadcast. Feel free to return to old episodes by visiting these sites. If you would like to listen to my own eating disorder story, you can listen on any of these platforms. Please consider sharing the podcast with family, friends, or those who you feel could specifically benefit. If you or someone you love might be struggling with an eating disorder, know that you have my full support and recovery and consider seeking treatment. If you feel treatment may be inaccessible to you, please consider seeking support through Project HEAL, which is the largest nonprofit in the United States delivering prevention, treatment, financing, and recovery support for those struggling with eating disorders. Disordered eating has ruled my life for nearly six years, and I didn't think anything would ever, would ever be able to come in between that. Treatment did, and treatment does. If you're in a crisis situation, please contact NEDA's helpline by texting NEDA to 741741. HTL has its very own Instagram and Twitter accounts. So if you would like to suggest your own episode topic or interact with the podcast further, please feel free to follow on Instagram at Heavier Than I Look and Twitter at HTL Podcast. If you're interested in sharing your own story as a feature on the show, please direct message me on Instagram or Twitter. Don't be afraid to reach out. I would love to hear from you. My podcast, Heavier Than I Look, aims to empower survivors, educate listeners, and foster conversations surrounding eating disorders and body dysmorphia. Eating disorders demand silence, yet this podcast is an attempt to de-isolate and destigmatize a survivor's experience by giving a voice to each story. We must abandon a quantitative, numerical definition of identity and reclaim our self-definition to exist beyond the numbers that rule our lives. In this way, HTL is a space of healing, recovery, and storytelling. Let us no longer wonder how little space we can comprise, but instead wonder how to make that space one filled with love and sympathy. Goodbye for now.